and welcome to this episode of the Carlisle podcast. Now, when it comes to podcast guests, I, I simply believe that those that have been there and done it are those that make for the best content and the best conversations. And the man joining me today certainly has. He has been involved in radio with Radio City. He has hosted TV programs with Granada and ITV. And he has also anchored the 1988 Olympics, which is a, a huge achievement. So, uh, Elton Wellesby, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing? It's a pleasure. Doing fine, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Lockdown has um, treated me quite well, really. Good, good. I'm very glad to hear. It's um, it's a pleasure to be speaking to somebody, not only someone from Merseyside who's done so well within sports broadcasting, but an Evertonian as well. That's always an uh, that's always a bonus. Oh, I'm glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to say, oh, don't you start. <laughs> <laughs> no, but to start as well, and I thought this is really interesting, doing my doing my research prior to, to having you on the show, um, I would advise anybody, by the way, to go back and watch the likes of Match Night and Match Time to... For the origins of football TV shows, I thought they they are absolutely fantastic and, and dare I say, a lot better than some of the things that we see today. But to start, uh, something that really I found interesting was uh, I read in an article that for one of your first newspaper features, which focused on the lives of football managers, that you yes. managed to get Bill Shankly on as your first guest, which yes. as a... As a modern equivalent, I spent, spent the day with him. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, as a as a modern equivalent uh, today, I could only think of that being like getting Jurgen Klopp on one of your first episodes of your podcast. Like, I'm sure yeah. that's huge for you earlier on in your career. Klopp or Mourinho, you know, I, I think they would be the today's equivalent, if you like. Yes. Um, yes, it was. It was fantastic. I'll tell you how it happened. Actually, it was quite. It was quite amusing. Um, I uh, I wrote an article in the Liverpool Weekly News um, where I'd had a tip that Liverpool were interested in Clyde Best, the uh, the West Ham striker of the time, who was scoring a few goals um, for West Ham. So I I, um, I I did a piece and the the headline was um, Liverpool. It was something like Black Bomber Best, something along those lines. Not intent to be racist at all. Um, that was that was okay in those days. And um, blimey, I got in the, the morning. The paper was published on a Thursday. It went on sale on Thursdays, and I, I got in. We get in late on a Thursday. Uh, and then have a look at the paper, see how it looks. And uh, there's a phone call. And one of the guys in the office said, uh, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's Bill Shankly for you. And I went, oh, sure, yeah. This is a little regional newspaper. Uh, and I'm saying, yeah, okay, yeah. He said, no, I, I think it is. And it's either him or a very good impressionist. So um, I came on Hello. Um, did you write that article about Clay Best? I said, uh, yes, I did, Mr. Shankly. He said, it's a load of baloney. <laughs> okay, you're a newspaper man. You know, you should, you, should, uh, you should have rung me and asked me and I'd have told you state. I said, well, I'm, I'm awfully sorry. Um, you know, uh, next next week's edition, we'll, we'll print a little um, apology that we were wide of the mark on that. Um, I said, listen, we do a, a feature day in the life of, uh, would you be willing to be a participant in that? And maybe it would teach me a little bit more because I, I was only a kid, you know. Um, and he said, that's fine. Tomorrow. Friday, yeah. Um, yes, fine. I'll see you at Melwood at nine o'clock. Went from there. And the rest is history. Spent well, day, spent the day at Melwood, went to Anfield. Um, after that, sat in his office with him, 
It was fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. I'm sure it was. How old were you when, when that happened? Oh, God. Uh, 22. Wow. That's a, it's around my age. That, that would have been absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah, about 22. Oh, I was, I couldn't believe it. I had to pinch myself, you know? Yeah. Um, but, like, of course, I got to know him properly and well um, in 1974 when Radio City started. And uh, he did a chat show for Radio City. Um, it used to go out, I think it was between one and two on a Saturday afternoon. We'd record it, say, on the Friday. Um, or sometimes on the Saturday morning, but it would go out between one and two, well, you know, so people could listen in the cars going to the match. Uh, and his very first guest, and I was, Wally Scott was the producer of that. Um, I was sort of co-producer, if you like, assistant producer. And um, Shanks' first guest, when he was prime minister, was Harold Wilson. Wow. Ah, it was it's I don't know whether the tape's still around, but it's it's pure broadcasting in gold. You know, no other way of putting it. It's just priceless. He's uh, Harold, who who was the first ever socialist? And Harold Wilson sort of with his pipe and is it uh, uh, Ramsey McDonald, Bill? He said, No, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, stuff like that. It's Absolutely brilliant. Great, great guy. Went down. I did a few of the uh, the programs uh, to give Wally a break, really, because it was um, <laughs> working with him in those in that kind of environment was enlightening, to say the least. Um, but I also went down uh, when Bob uh, got his first Manager of the Year award down in London, one of the big hotels in London. And Shanks was like surprise guest to present it to him. Bob Paisley, I'm talking about, obviously. Um, and he said to me, are you going, you know, to the awards tomorrow in London? I said, I am actually, Bill. Yeah, I'll be down there to interview Bob and a few people. And he said, um, right, I'll see you on the train at eight o'clock. First class compartment and we'll drink tea all the way there. And it happened. Wow. It was just, just marvellous. Marvellous. Seems like it. And what I wanted to ask is... Yeah. Now, I am very lucky. Obviously, there's, there's plenty of people around here who have families that are split down the middle. Some support the red side, some support yeah. the blue side. I was... Very, very lucky in that both sides of my family are match-going Evertonians. My granddad, who I was incredibly close with, played for Everton in the 1950s and was good friends with Dave Hickson and Tony McNamara uh, and players around that era. And I was reading Jürgen Klopp's letter to the Liverpool Echo. And I'm familiar with Jürgen Klopp. I followed his Dortmund side very closely. And as you say... Similar to uh, Shankly, he does seem like someone who speaks to those socialist values and, and somebody that really understands the cultural significance of football to, to its people. What do you think it is? I, I, yeah, I, I've never met him, and it, I would love to. I think he's... Um, I mean, you talk about the spirit of Shankly, etc. I don't know, in the years to come, you... you you could see the spirit of Klopp mm. merging. Unfortunately for us. but Very unfortunately, yeah. The spirit of Carlo, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully in yeah. a couple of years. The spirit of big dunk. <laughs> what do you think it is that makes football so unique around this part of the world? It's more than just a hobby. It's more than just a pastime. What do I think? Well, I... As I say, I, I grew up um, uh, watching four, but the first time I went to Everton was in 1962, April the 21st, I think it was, 1962. And uh, they were playing Cardiff and won 8 3. 
and he scored one, but the guy who just ran the game and made me fall in love with, with, with not football, I was in love with that before then, but what made me fall in love with Everton was Alex Young. And it was, I'll never forget that performance. It was fantastic. Taffy Vernon got three. Billy Bingham was on the score sheet, for goodness sake. And J- Jimmy Gabriel, I believe. Um, and I think Youngie got the one, but he must have created the other seven. You know? <laughs> he was just fantastic. Um, so that was, that was, that was my first memory. And as regarding the, the fans at the time, uh, what have you? I don't remember any of the, if you like, bitterness that seems to be prevalent now, um, especially you know following the events of Friday night. Um, it was fine. I mean, yeah, like you say, you know, Liverpool and Everton fans. I go on the bus. Actually, we used to go on the bus occasionally with Bill Kenwright, and we used to go into the paddock. And we go on the bus, and there'll be Liverpool fans on the bus. No problem at all. No, no problem at all. The only part I never went, because I was advised against it, was the boys' pen. Mm. <laughs> um, that was meant to be a paradise for hooligans, basically. Stab <laughs> <laughs> you, we on you. you know. <laughs> but uh, I, never, I, I never saw it firsthand, so I'm not, I, I'm not casting too many aspersions in that direction. <laughs> football certainly has changed in that time and oh gosh yeah you're telling me the project restart that's being called now obviously English mm. football is is well and truly after um, back underway after I suppose now you can call it the, the pandemic era um, I feel We're like still in it yeah. We're still in the pandemic era. Make I no mistake that, about that. No, I think we'll be in it for, for years to come, to be fair. And yes. football football seems like one of those industries that always has opportunities to reinvent itself or repackage itself. I'm sure you'll know yeah. more than you'll have more, you'll know more than most given your involvement with broadcast media uh, yes. and whatnot. So what are your opinions and what have you made of what's transpired following the restart of football? Well, the, the behind closed doors, uh, that's the obvious thing, isn't it? I'm not, if you watch on the television, you've got the option of, of having crowd noise, um, which they inject into the, the, the coverage, or you can just hear it as... Um, as it is if you were in the stadium, you know, no, virtually no sound at all, apart from the commentator. Um, I think it favours the away sides at the moment, because they're not used to being cheered and, you know, on a, on foreign soil. Um, whereas the home teams are really used to it, you know, like at Goodison, we know what that's like, but when the fans get be, you know, get behind the lads, um, I, it just and a lot of the the results and this is certainly applies to the Bundesliga. It favoured the away sides, um, so I think that's interesting. Having said that, you know I I have to say I think Liverpool have been magnificent. I think they deserve the the Premier League. I hope in the years to come it's not tarnished by oh well that's the coronavirus league, isn't it? You know um, they they deserve it. I mean, to win by a massive haul of points. Um, I can see you grimacing as well, but I'm a, I'm a realist, you see. Uh, and also, you know, during my time, not just at the Weekly News, but certainly Radio City, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have had the career I had and, and saw some of the wonderful things that I did uh, if it hadn't been for Liverpool, mm. you know. Uh, because I commentated on all their games between 74 and 78. Um, you know, when they were winning the league, the European Cup, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, sorry, no, I didn't, the European Cup, I did one European Cup, that was 77. And uh, two um, UEFA Cups. 
adventurous. So, you know, I, I, I'm not a bitter blue. Not. No, no, I am. Um... I suppose because this is the this is the career that I have my my heart set on. Uh, I've had to vanquish any any sort of bitterness. Really, as as you say, they they do thoroughly deserve it this season. This is believe it or not, I'm 21 years of age. This is the first time in my lifetime that I've experienced them winning the league. Obviously, but I think I would say this is the first time I've ever experienced them truly being the best team in Europe. Um, I know they you go back to last year and, and 2005 when they won the, the Champions League but even then uh, I wouldn't have quite said that they were the you know the elite of the elite you know you've always yeah. had Barcelona or, or, or Real Madrid and whatnot in terms of their, their playing styles but as you say Elton credit where it's due they've, they've been tremendous and a large part of that is down to yeah. the Jurgen Klopp oh um, yeah I, I was going to say that Obviously, we, we touched on it there, the the impact that certain individuals have on the culture of football. You talked about Paisley and Shankly, Klopp, but you have had the pleasure of interviewing and being in the studio with some people who are just so influential in the development of football over time. Can't transcend football, in a sense. Yeah, to, yeah. Ju- just to name a few. Um, well, uh, it... I can't name a few because once you name, say, three or four, then the others kind of pale into insignificance in a sense. Now, I'm not dodging your question. Brian Clough, without a shadow of doubt. Clough, he's one of them. Oh, no. No. Yeah. You see, once you said Shankly, Brian Clough, Bob Paisley wasn't that kind of animal. So I can't class him as that. Oh, I still regard him as probably the um, the shrewdest uh, tactician that football's possibly ever known. That's a bit of a sweeping statement, but um, I, I, I don't think too many people would argue with me. Um, but other than that, you know, you, then you, you're into the realms of Ron Atkinson, great character, but not in... In, in in the same sense as, as Clough or Shankly, mm-hmm. you know, different. I'm trying to think desperately of some of the... Uh, I'd, I'd have to say, I'm going to limit it to Shanks. I never worked with Shanks on television. Um, but Clough I did a number of times. And that was, you didn't know. You didn't know what was going to happen next, to be honest with you. Talking live TV, um, and you just were living on your wits. I mean, I, I was just, I needed a large scotch or brandy when I finished that show. You know, <laughs> just calm down, because you, you were so hyped. You just didn't, half the time he'd had a good few drinks himself, you know. Um, you just didn't know what to expect with Cluffy. But for me... Just top class. What a, what a great uh, advert for, for football and the character of football. The character of football. Um, I, I thought he was terrific. Really did. I'll, uh, I'll name a few that stood out to me from, from doing my research. Yeah. Um, just in terms of, as I say, the, the cultural development of football. George Best certainly seemed to be one of them in, t- in terms of developing oh yeah sorry i thought you were referring to managers well, um, not just managers because oh. I, I think i think as you say that it, it transcends i think it transcends managers plays and it, it goes down to the people and the individuals i'd say best certainly developed footballers to be mentioned in the same brackets as celebrity at this point there was a brief technical mishap as i believe this was elton's first ever time for using skype um the conversation cuts back in with Elton describing his experiences with the legendary Sir Bobby Robson. He was always an absolute... I love the time I spent with him. I, I met him at Tranmere once in the boardroom. Oh. Anyway, I, I went up and... Oh, 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 well, speak. 
a while. Oh, so it has. We, we had a brief, brief chat. And that's when he walked off. Strange. Not like him at all, you know. And uh, so I just called him and said, you're right, Bob. You left a bit quick there. And he said, uh, no, he said, it's been bothering me. I'm just trying to remember the last time we met. <laughs> he was deadly serious. Of course, he, um, he was studio guest in the game uh, at Anfield when Arsenal came to the Arsenal, Arsenal game, yeah. Um, so that was probably our, our, the greatest memory we have. Um, obviously, uh, Italian 90, I, I, apart from doing the odd interview down the line, as it's called, I, I never sort of came across in person the, the England team or Bob or, or anybody because we were always on the road traveling to various locations you know mm -hmm. never never got to see the England training camp at all no bit uh, closed off that's the type of sort of manager that he was in terms of his his access with the media Bob yeah oh he, he was terrific and he got a really hard time at one point um, yeah, it was given a really hard time, and uh, by the Sunday papers, just more than anyone else, as I recall, as I recall, and I met up with him um, at one point, and he was distraught. He was kind of, why, why are they treating me like this? I, I've always been good to them. I said, well, I don't know. I suppose their argument was. Uh, controversy or whatever you want to call it. Sell papers. Mm. I'll come up with it. You know, and I don't think he could either. See, the, there are things like that that I'm I'm set to graduate this year with a degree in sports media, but there are things just like that that really set me back um, from being referred to as a, as a journalist in a sense. It it just it puts me off. Thinking of going into uh, Broadcasting. Mm -hmm. Is that what you want to do? This this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you find you're trusted a lot more than the newspaper guys. Um, and I I found that definitely. And it was. I mean, Shanks was. I remember Shanks. We were in the press conference on a Friday lunchtime once um, with all the the Merseyside. Mafia, you know, the, they used to call them the Merseyside Mafia, all the, the lads who worked with the Express, the Star, the Sun, Amira, etc., you know. And uh, there'd been a story, <clears throat> Colin Daily Mail had written a story that Shanks didn't like. And uh, so we all got in there and he sort of eyeball Woody, as if to say, I'm going to get you. And all of a sudden he said, I know what you're going to say, son. You don't like the headline. And it was the headline I didn't really like, you know. So, um, as I say, the newspaper guys, they're a bit wary because other people, what I'm trying to say is, with the newspaper, other people get involved, you know, sub-editors, mm -hmm. editors, etc. Uh, subs, you know, who will say, take something out of a story which ruins the context of the story, you know, unbeknown to them. Um, whereas in Radio, yes, of course you can edit, you know, radio and television too, but it's much harder. You can't, you can't distort what's being said as easily as you can with the written. So, Max, a word of advice: search, search for uh, for your goal, and and make it a broadcasting one. Definitely. You'll get you're a good looking lad. Thank you. I appreciate that. This is where I, I really like podcasts because they seem to be a a medium between both radio and television. And, and as you say, in terms of editing, they're pure. They're not you can't distort them or warp them in any way. They are very, well, very I, true to its I'm, material. I'm not absolutely sure. What a podcast is to be truthful. How does it? How do you? Where's your audience? I've essentially what I've done is I've had 
built a an audience from social media. So through the likes of, of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and whatnot. And um, I've been living in Manchester for the last three years and I found that particularly interesting walking around with this accent. But uh, as I say, it, it's been fantastic for building connections and networking. And as I say, yeah, I'm I'm set on the, the broadcasting path, as it were. As someone that's worked uh, across the board, uh, newspapers, radio and television, which did you enjoy the most and feel like you found your voice in the most? I th- the, the four years I had at Radio City were, were absolutely fantastic because we certainly in 74, the, the start of it, we were pioneers. Um, I mean, no one knew anything about radio who, who were on, on the broadcasting side. Obviously, technicians and like did, but um, we, just, we just had to learn and learn very quickly how to do it. I remember we, we our first midweek sports show on City which Wally and I put together it was going out on whatever night I can't remember, let's say Thursday night um, and editing the tapes and, and putting them together just putting the tapes together we worked through the night literally, we were clueless and we sat in the studio and uh, we sat we were live in the studio but queuing in tapes and we had a couple of studio guests as well but all the tapes that, that needed editing, I tell you, one of them was Steve Koppel. That was my first ever tape re- taped interview. Was for that program in 1974, um, and it was with Steve Koppel, and we've been great mates ever since. Wow! As I say, television, television. I can't even compare television then and now. I love love the TV. Because it was really fly by the seat of your pants in those days. Because technically, uh, it has come on so much; it, it's it's almost frightening how it's come on. Um, you know, the audio. I never used auto cue. Now everyone uses it now, um, and you, you know, you you just they're called instant roles. You know, when someone says, uh, "And let's hear from so and so, whoever spoke to him earlier," mm-hmm. it comes in. Like that. When I first started out, you you had to give a cue or some kind of cue to the PA to roll the the tape, the interview, ten seconds before it actually hit the air because it had to stabilise on the loop. Um, and then you know, luxury of all luxuries, it came down to five seconds, um, which was fine. And then we got the option of instant rolls, like they have now. As it wasn't perfected, I said, no, I don't want that. You know, I want the five-second role because if something's wrong, I've got five seconds to work out how to get out of it. Because mm-hmm. I had open talkback. I could hear every, everybody, everything in my ear while I was working. And I just wanted to know if, if Telecine had a, had a problem, BT had a problem, sound had a problem whatever you know i like to know because if, if on instant rolls if you just say uh, oh and here he is speaking earlier and nothing happens you know you're going uh well um well oh um oh i wonder what happened there you know not for me i mm. like to know uh, i mean it would it's now it's foolproof you never see that happening anyway so uh yeah instant rolls now will be fine yeah, as you say, the the technology certainly has has developed so so much, and and it's developing every day, really. Oh yeah, I mean these you see the you know like uh, the the Sunday supplements on Sky where they have the three three journalists and the presenter, and that's on your Zoom thing, isn't it? You know where four four or five people, whatever, can all take part, but from their living rooms. I, I mean, it's just when Leeds won the title, um, when Leeds won the title and we, we were doing it, uh, we had a camera in Lee Chapman's house and he was with Gary McAllister and Eric Cantona. 
and we were talking to him uh, from our studio to Lee's house, mm -hmm. you know. I'm told that it was technically so complicated. You know, the, the engineers who, who set it up and enabled it to work were given medals. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, was, it, it was right up to Lee, well done, congratulations, and all that. Um, we had no idea it was going to happen. We didn't have a preview thing, nothing. It was, uh, it was really, Dennis Lowell did me that. It, it was, crikey, just, are we going to get him or not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, perfectly. It worked perfectly, and the engineers got all the credit, and rightly so. Very, um, very hit and miss, if you will. Back in oh, the deep hour, as you say, say, in comparison. In Italia 90 and uh, the Euros in 92, uh, we were just sort of sat in the, in, in the, basically in stands. We had a little area, which, you know, our area, but um, right, the things like talk back, but we learned so much from Italia 90 that when we went to Sweden in 92, um, when we went to Sweden in 92, we uh, you know, sounds a bit boastful, but we perfected it, and it was sweet. I think Sweden 92 probably the best presentation uh, of a major football championship that I've ever seen or been part of. Nice, sir. Uh, it, was, it was terrific, you know, excellent. I'll certainly go. Uh, that was the first time there was no London studio at all. Wow. It was, everything came from Sweden. I think... Mainly the... Stockholm or Utterberg. Which is how the Swedes say Gothenburg. <laughs> right. Me and what Jack Charles to laugh about that. Are we going back to when are we going back to Utterberg? <laughs> one of the um I think one of the obviously I think with any sort of change in life it has its positives and it has its negatives, but I think one of the positives of the evolution of technology is the fact that I can go back and, and look at all that footage now and, and learn from it and and pick things up from it. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a bit long in the tooth, but, you know, I'm still learning. Not that I'm, I'm practicing at the moment, but, um, you know, you still learn, you, you know, when you, you watch a, a broadcast or whatever, you think, ah, that's, you know, ooh, that's good. I like mm. that. That's different, whatever. Um, yeah. It's, um, I'd say the, the technical side of it now, I mean, I remember sort of, I used to be invited, say, say we were doing a live game from the studio, which is very rare, but a live game from the studio, Ronaldo, um, and once you're thrown over to the commentators, obviously you have 45 minutes, well, slightly longer, um, you know, to chill out or, or do whatever, watch the game, clearly, but because uh, you have to do the half-time, full-time. But you could do it in a relaxed state. Uh, and I was often asked the director to say, Carl, come up to the gallery. That's how I said, I'm not going up there. Why is that? I said, well, I can see all the monitors, all the, the various things. I mean, it was like, it was like Apollo 11, you know. I, I said, no. <laughs> if I go up there, I become more acutely aware of all the things that can go wrong. That would leave egg on my face, and I, I don't want to. I do want to look. <laughs> <laughs> I can empathise with that. I 100% agree. At, at the moment, I'm. I doubt, but I doubt. What I'm saying is, I doubt whether it be, whether it will be as scary today. I, I'm sure it wouldn't. <laughs> I think there's still um, the degree of responsibility there. As I say, with this podcast. As, as of the moment, it's a, an independent platform and I do all the, as I say, the hosting, the producing and the editing myself. So there is certainly responsibility, responsibility there to, to be taken for it. Um, 
as I was saying, like with, with, with newspapers, which I believe you started off in, when did you start to feel like this is going to become a defining career path for yourself? Uh, when I was um, when I was hired by Radio City, uh, I think I started there two weeks before they went on air. On, the, the first on air date was uh, October the twenty first, nineteen seventy four. So I've probably been there from you know the, the second, the end of the first week or thereabouts. In and they were still building the studios, and, and you think it. We're not going to be ready for October the 21st. Um, anyway, we were, it, it all worked well. Uh, there were some hiccups, obviously. Um, but that was, that was great. Getting back to your question in the previous one, it's, that was the, uh, that was the most challenging and probably enjoyable time of my, uh, of my broadcasting career, I would say. The, those four years of radio system. Nice. That's not to say I didn't enjoy the, the TV at all. Um, it was, you know, I mean, when I first did the transition from radio to television, it was honestly, it was frightening. It really was. I tried not to show it, but it was. <laughs> within, you know, with, within a matter of, I wouldn't say weeks, say months, in a matter of months, it became a television studio became a kind of second home, you know, uh, it's, everything was familiar and, you know, I'd learned and I knew, I, I knew the signs of when something wasn't going to go right. Uh, I could tell, I knew, uh, so I'd be, I'd be talking, uh, but I'd be thinking as well, what I'm going to do in a minute's time because something's going to go belly up. <laughs> uh, but that was that was wonderful, uh, and it's to make you know when things go wrong or something's happened to it, it's how to get out of it and how to cover it up. If you like, laugh it off. You know, don't let the the, the audience, the viewers at home, see you panicking or sweating. Yeah, make it funny. Yeah, good tip. Good tip. Definitely. Mm. Um, you mentioned there that. What made you fall in love with football was that early 60s Everton side, uh, a side that I grew up hearing many, many stories of. You say your uh, your sort of standout player was Alex Young, whereas mm. for myself, Brian Lebone, I absolutely loved hearing stories about Brian Lebone, uh, captain, don't think he ever got a, a red card in, in his career, um, and someone who I, I really felt like epitomised Everton in a sense, uh, and like you talk about Paisley and Shankly as those that epitomise Liverpool, I feel like there are certain individuals that most definitely epitomise Everton uh, and everything they stand for. Catterick uh, and Kendall, obviously, uh, the two standout names. How have you found your career of covering Everton over time? Well, it's, it's, uh, that was more difficult in some respects than doing Liverpool because... You know, being an Evertonian uh, by that time, uh, let's see. So the weekly news that was late sixties, early seventies. We didn't do a lot um, with them. I used to go, um, and but I didn't go in the press box, which I could have done during the, uh, the you know the nineteen seventy championship campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still, I still went in the ground because I, was, I still felt more of a fan than than anything else, you know. Who um, knows in that era? Then there was the, you know, fantastic when Howard and everything went right for Howard and for Everton uh, between eighty four and uh, eighty seven. Uh, that was great, you know. Always welcome. All the boys knew, you know. Knew me and knew as an Evertonian, which is the thing. So, you know, if ever I said, "Can you, you know, can you do something? Can you come in the studio or anything like that?" It was always, "Yeah, no problem." You know, because they knew they wouldn't get a hard time. Mm. <laughs> Brilliant. I, uh, I, I came across last night 
footage from the the QPR game where we were crowned league champions and you're reporting over an absolutely jam-packed Goodison Park and yes. the atmosphere was absolutely bouncing. What was that, that like? Uh, that was Monday, wasn't it? Bank holiday Monday, I think. I, I, I believe so. I believe so. Well, I was doing. I was doing. I had to do a, a, a piece, not in not in vision. I was just with a commentator's mic and some headphones. I, I was doing a scene set for uh, Bank Holiday Sports Special, something like that. Um, a scene set, um, and it was meant to be about thirty seconds. And something had gone wrong in London, and. The only link that they they had up and running was mine. Uh, so my thirty seconds uh, from uh, from Goodison prior to that game turned into about two and a quarter minutes. That's a long time in, in television and radio. Two and a quarter minutes is, is a long time. And. Um, yeah, but I was able to fall back. You know, I, I was telling stories about when they won the title in in, in 60, 1970, you know, 80, 80, and now we're up to 85, blah, blah, blah. It was a doddle, and people were saying, well, how does he know all this? This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's all the producers down in London, you know, but this is really educational. And someone who knew me very well sort of said, hang on, he's an Evertonian, he's having a field day, <laughs> which is absolutely true. I, I, you know, it was great. Um, you'd have put someone, I don't know, who didn't know the history of Everton as, as well as I did. It, it might have been a bit of an arduous task, but it was, it was easy for me. Yeah. Yeah. Reeling off, you know, the, the players from the 60s, you know, then the, the, the players from the 70s, Kendall Ball, Harvey, etc. Um, and Labby, you know, Labby. I felt sorry for Labby in 70 that, uh, you know, when the title, uh, when we, the, the championship trophy was presented, you know, Labby was injured. Bawley, Bawley uh, was presented with the, the, the trophy, you know. Mm-hmm. I always felt a bit sorry for Labby that. Because that was towards the end. Um, for Lavi, I don't know, I'm not quite sure how many years he did after that. Of course, he was with England um, in '70, the World Cup in Mexico. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't think. I think. Would, have you any idea? Because you're you're a big fan of his. Uh, would he have finished that round about '72? Was it something like early early '70s? It was a, it was an injury, wasn't it? That ended his career yeah. prematurely. Yeah. I think, I, think, I believe it was an off-tackle in a, in a reserve game that, that cut his career shorter. And yeah, as you say, I th- he was in, he was there though, wasn't he, when we won the, the title in 70? He was in suit and tie. 70, yeah. 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 He was injured, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll say the presentation ceremony after the game, uh, Alan Ball was presented with the trophy. Because he was captain on the day, which was quite right. But Lavi was there, and then they held it. If I remember rightly, they held it up aloft. You know, the two of them, one hand mm-hmm. each. You know, uh, point. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll we'll get to see that again soon, one day. Well, uh, you will. I won't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know. Like I, I haven't. I haven't seen us win anything, which is quite a shock to me because obviously I, I've, I've grown up hearing stories from the 60s and the 70s and that we are. Obviously, we played more top-flag games than any other English side and um, we are and we should be regarded as English royalty in a sense, but I don't know. Fingers crossed, as you say. I hope Carlo's got the uh, got the right recipe for well, silverware. Mega, too. Mega, mega. I mean, yeah. Of all the ones going at the moment, uh, I, I would say he's just about the most lauded manager in world football at the moment, who's still operating. I mean, his CV is just magnificent. 
But I'll tell you who's chasing him in that respect. Uh, Klopp. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Strange. Work out. Um, yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's almost like a Shankly Kasserick situation, if you think about it. One was, a, you know, an extrovert, um, almost an entertainer in his own right, and that was Shank. So the cat was, was just, just totally the opposite. He was introverted. And, you know, I see that. I'm not saying it's quite the same, but it's similar. I mean, Klopp is larger than life. Carlo's just Don Carlo, isn't he? Takes everything in. But he's quiet compared to Klopp. And it just reminds me a little bit of the uh, the 60s. But there mm-hmm. again, I'm nostalgic. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a... That's an absolutely fantastic comparison, and what what they what are we today? This is the the first of July. Everton play Leicester City tonight at Goodison Park. Not tonight, actually. It's a, a six o'clock kickoff, which is yes, yeah, which is bizarre. Um, like again, I think this is that's one of the uh, the the touch points that many people raise when debating project restart. The it it does feel very disjointed but to to go back to Everton five or so years ago maybe even before that given the fact that Leicester did win the the Premier League it it feel very strange to say Everton are the underdogs going into a home tie against Leicester City and I was wondering from you Elton considering mm-hmm. that you've seen so much of Everton Football Club over the years where are they at as a football club? Are we declining? Are we stagnant? Or are we are we on the up? I think we're I think we're on the up, but I think it's a very slow rise. Uh, but I think we're definitely on the up. I mean, Ancelotti has not done what he's achieved in, in his career without being a very very shrewd, clever man. And also, as far as um, Mashiri is concerned. Uh, we're paying Ancelotti a fortune, you know. Um, so clearly there is money there, um, but we need to spend. I reckon we'd need to spend maybe something like 150, 150 to 200 million to actually uh, be able to be mentioned in the same breath as Liverpool, Man City. Um, I think Chelsea are going to be very strong next season. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's, there's no reason why we can't aspire to the top four, none at all. Um, but I think the title is just a little bit, it's just a little bit out of range. Yeah, we're, we're in a, a very unique... Quite a bit out of range. Yeah, we're in a, a unique situation now, I'd say, in English football in that we have got two teams that are cut and dry ahead of the rest in, in them lot across Stanley Park uh, and Manchester City. Whereas, as you say, and rightly so, the the bracket of teams just below, the Chelsea, Manchester United, Leicester included in that now, the, those places are very much up to grabs. Um, with talent like Richarlison, Dominic Calvert-Lewin now, who, who's rarely seemed to come into form as, as he's getting older, Um as you say, you'd like to think that we could challenge for those European places. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not a fan of the Europa League at all. Uh, I think that is. I mean, you look at what happened to Burnley when they qualified. They hardly won a game for six months. Mm-hmm. You look at what sure. you look at what happened to us when we qualified under Ronald Koeman. That was a disaster. I, I I've got no time for it. I mean, who wants to go and play a Thursday night in Outer Mongolia or something like that? You know, you do... I mean, it, never mind the clubs. I mean, I've not heard of some of the countries that are involved in. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it, it's that that needs. It, it's all UEFA money. That's that's all it is. It, that that competition needs to be. It needs to be revamped totally. 
in other words, there should be qualifiers with all stuff of these minnow clubs all over all over Europe, um, and then meet sort of the big boys. Uh, I, I don't know how I'll have to sit down and work it out, but uh, I just I just know that it holds no appeal. I all this oh we're playing in Europe, you know no no. Playing in Europe, you, you know, you, you're thinking about going to Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, uh, you know. Um, I can't even think of an example. Some of the, you know, the clubs that are in this. No, no, no. It's, it's ridiculous. Mm, I, it's great to uh, win because it, you qualify for the Champions League. Now, that's that's the tournament to be in. Uh, both in terms of prestige and finance, that, that is a tournament to be in. You can somehow get in there by finishing the top four or win the Europa League, which are qualifiers. Mm-hmm. That, the, the, the Europa League only, I suppose, people get don't get excited about it until the semi-final stage. Yeah, as you, as you, as, as you rightly say. Being in the Champions League is what opens so many doors in terms of revenue streams and commercial exposure. And I personally would like to think once the the move to Bramley Moor Dock materialises, that will be when we can crack on and and really assert ourselves again as getting back to our rightful place, really. Well, crikey, I wouldn't be holding my breath about Bramley Moor. I really wouldn't. I mean, it will happen, but I wouldn't know with breath. Um, definitely. You hit the nail on the head there in, in that you, you separate your, your personal interests from your uh, your professional career, but I think we both share the uh, the hopes and aspirations that we, we get Everton back to the, the places of the 60s uh, and the 80s in particular. Yeah. Oh, it's... I, I, I mean, but there again, people in my era, you know, miss Goodison terribly. Uh, I'm saying. But it's, it has to happen uh, eventually. I mean, you, you look at the, the revenue, you know, places like, uh, well, not so much Old Trafford, but the Etihad. Uh, and the Emirates, you know, they they've been transformed, you know. And the revenue to those clubs, it's just that they they spend their money very badly. You know, not the Etihad. I'm thinking more of Arsenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, their their revenues on match days has almost doubled um, since they moved from Highbury, but they don't spend well. They don't look they don't look forward. Sufficiently, you know, letting players like Aaron Ramsey run out of contract, you know, it's brainless. It's it's just brainless. I'm, I'm aware we're coming up to just over an hour now, and I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure to to speak to someone like yourself who's had such a an established career within sports broadcasting, and and yeah, just to... what it's worth, I can, I can see myself in you all those years ago. Humphrey <laughs> wanted to do it, yeah. And Thank you very there's no much. reason there's no reason why you shouldn't, my man. No I reason. Know. I was gonna say just to sign off, any uh, any words of wisdom? Well, keep going. Um that's not exactly wisdom, is it? It it's it's so different, you know, to when I was your age. It is so, so different. I don't know. Um, local radio is, is a great starting point uh, in, in the field of broadcasting. And it, it's important as it was for me, uh, you know, to, to get the right one if you can. One that's got, uh, you know, a football club that people really take notice of. I was lucky. I mean, I could have, you know, could have got a job on Radio Carlisle or something. You know, I'm not being disparaging. Uh, but 
the fact I was at Radio City and I was from, you know, the first couple of weeks of, of going on air, I was doing the commentaries um, on Liverpool for Radio City and, and Liverpool was sort of just motoring into this fantastic period. Um, you know, I was recognised because of Liverpool. And most Evertonians thought I must have been a Liverpool fan. You know, but that was just professionalism. You couldn't, you couldn't help but admire that team. It was fabulous. They were a great, great side. Um, but, you know, getting to European finals, uh, winning the league, etc., etc. Um, it, it put me on the map. You know, whether I was any good or not, it put me on the map. And it was kind of, oh, the guy, Radio City, Elton Wellsby, his name is. Uh, and that's how it's my boss at Granada. You know, he started listening because he'd been told. And he started listening. Uh, and, you know, he rang me one day and said, I want you for an hour. But don't think you'll see a camera for 12 months. <laughs> he wasn't far wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that's, so that's, there's a certain amount of coincidence in that. Um, you still got to be decent at what you do, but it would help if you, you know, managed to to land one of the a radio station that's got a, a you know a good profile and covers, you know, one of the if you can one of the leading clubs, and then you know you've got to displace whoever's doing it. Then hopefully he moves on, and you know you uh, you get the chance. But as I say, it is so different now. So different. I, mean, I look at, for example, Sky Sports News. That's Sky Sports football coverage, which is fantastic. I mean, right. Um, and the number of presenters on there, I have no idea how many there are. You know, from Sky Sports News to all the various channels, I have not a clue how many they have. I know it must, must be 100, something like that. And to be honest with you, there are very, very, very few who could have cut it back in the day. Very few. Uh, obviously, Richard Keyes is terrific. Very, very good. But of course, he's out in Qatar now. Mm-hmm. Having uh, been a victim of sexism. Uh, but he's a proper, proper presenter. I don't see too many of them. I really don't. I don't. No, I, and I, I agree with you. Watch this, listen to what I'm saying and think, oh, he's, he's bitter. You know, he's jealous or what. Not at all. Not at all. It's fact. No, I, I agree 100%. The, the, what's changed is the fact that there is... What, what, what I found is that Back back in those days, it seemed like a really prestigious achievement to be paid to be on screen talking about football. But now there are so many screens and so many people wanting to talk about football that it's it's quite hard to establish yourself. But as you say, I, I'll, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm not so sure about that. I think when... You know, I, I, someone said I, I had the best job in the country uh, once. A, a journalist who wrote it in one of the papers, best job in the country. You know, he he, uh, he presents live football. Um, there was only one, and that, that was me. Who was doing it. Um, I would have been hard to dislodge up until '92, when when Sky. Uh, get crash the party, uh, but now, oh, blimey, there must be so, so many opportunities. I mean, I see new faces on Sky Sports News, which is a great place to start. <clears throat> but I see new faces on there. And it seems to be every day. I've not seen him before. I've not seen her before. Um, so if you've got a, you know, if if, if you're any good. I think there's a chance you get on their radar. Um, I, I think uh, I, I would think it's 
kind of easier to get a a head start now than it than it was, you know, back in the the eighties, early eighties. But there again, you see, I'm also I don't really, I've got no substance to what I'm saying. It's that's just an opinion. I could be wrong. Okay, a hundred percent. I'll I'll take heed of of your words uh, and fingers crossed I can get back to you in a couple of years' time with a an established physician. Eh? Be nice. That would be great. I look forward to that. Me too. Elton, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to talk and you're welcome to come on the podcast whenever you like in the future. All you've got to do is invite me and I'll be there. Pleasure. Take care. And you, Max. Bye.